Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. He doesn't drive us. He's not whipping you from behind. He's not driving. Satan drives his kids, right? God said, I'm a shepherd. I lead you. I'm in front. And as you follow my example, follow my voice. How does a shepherd lead a sheep? The sheep know his voice. And so they follow his voice. How does he lead them? He leads them beside still waters. He leads them to green grass and good pasture. They lead them to places of rest. I mean, he's a great shepherd. He said, if you just follow my lead, it'll be so good. Even when it's bad, it'll be good. Because I'm a good shepherd. Have you ever tried to break an old habit? There's reason for saying old habits die hard. The longer you've been doing things a certain way, the harder it is to change. In today's message, Pastor Bill tells us that as hard as it can be to kick old habits, God, by His Spirit, will empower us to do so. He doesn't just tell us to live a life without sin and then leave us to figure it out on our own. God is good and He has given us the power over sin, the power to live a victorious life by His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 8 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Day one of telling your flesh, no, your flesh is like, no, I've been winning this fight for years. You know, you're going to get up in there and it's going to fight hard, you know. And day two, he's like, no, I'm going to wear you down then. Day three, it's going to keep going. But what's going to happen over time is its power wanes. It doesn't have the power it used to have. For me, that's my reality. What was intensely difficult, you know, early on, as time got by, I'm going to say my guard is still up in that area, but it's not the battle that it was in 1995. You know, it's not even something I think about, you know, often these days. And it's something I haven't had a drink since 1995. I don't ever want to have a drink again, you know, but I look back at how God did it. And initially it was God saying, look, I've forgiven you and I've cleansed you and I'm going to empower you. He did. It was his strength, not my own. But I realized that I could just I could have just gone back. Same thing with cigarettes. Cigarettes and alcohol went together for me. So when alcohol went, cigarettes went. But when I first got saved, I'm not going to lie. I would smell somebody smoking a Newport. It was like smelling barbecue for a fat dude. You know, I smell a Newport like, and, and I know the liquor stores that just sell one, just a single cigarette. And I'm not, I'd be thinking that like, I'm going to just get one. I'm not going to get a pack. I'm going to get a single cigarette. And the flesh would be trying to make deals. Just get one. It's a holiday. You know what I'm saying? It's New Year's, you know, you can light the firework with it, you know, whatever. You just got to tell the flesh no. So that was me. Whatever your stuff is, right? I want you to know you can't wean the flesh. You can't play with the flesh. And you just starve it to death. And so for the believer, fasting is a, it's a beautiful practice of putting the flesh in check. Everybody here have a natural, I mean, it's you needed to live. You have an appetite. So you eat every day. Some of us more than others. Some of y'all eat once a day, one big old grande meal. Some of us eat two, three, four, five times, whatever. But you eat every day. You have an appetite for food. So for, you know, when we fast, it's for spiritual purposes, turning down the plate. I will just tell you right now, I don't have time. I'm doing a study on fasting. Some people say, well, I'm a fast TV. That's not fasting. Mm-mm. You can go without TV just fine. Fast food, that biblical Bible, the Bible fasting is not eating food or Daniel's fast is only eating vegetables and water. But a biblical fast is abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. And when you do that, you know, first morning waking up fast, your body's like, I'm right now about breakfast time, bro. It's about breakfast time and coffee. We're late. <laughs> We're late. You know, it gets louder and louder, but you're putting the flesh in check. 
for spiritual purposes. And you may fast for a day, you may fast a couple meals initially, you may do a few days, but you do that. It's a spiritual practice in putting the flesh in check. Now, it's not dominating you, telling you what to do. You're saying for the purpose of seeking God this week, I'm putting that down. Uh, It is powerful practice. And so it's something that God expects believers to engage in. He never tells us how often or for how long. But God says um, in Matthew's gospel to the disciples, when he taught them how to pray, he said, when you pray, because he expected them to pray. When it's about giving, he said, when you give or do your charitable deeds. He expected them. He also said, when you fast. That's in Matthew 6. Um, you can look it up later. He said, when you fast, do it like this and not like that. So it's an expectation of the believer. That's just extra. So it's a practice in putting the flesh in its place, that it wouldn't dominate us, but that, again, by the spirit, we would put to death the deeds of the body. A great little picture of this. I won't flip to it. If you write notes, you can write down 1 Samuel chapter 5. In the first Samuel chapter five, the Philistines had captured the Ark of God. For you guys that are familiar, the Ark of God was uh, it was where the very presence of God dwelt. And so wherever Israel went, the Ark would go with them inside the Ark. It was representative of the presence of the Lord among them. And so when it was taken away by the enemies, it was a big deal. The Philistines, the enemies of God, had captured the Ark. Now, the Philistines worshiped a God called Dagon. And it was like a half fish, half man God. And they had statues of it everywhere. And they took the ark and they put the ark in the room where Dagon was. And when they got up the next morning, they came in and Dagon was fell down, face down on the ground before the ark. They didn't get the hint. That thing fell down before him. They probably never fell before, but it was on this face before the ark. So the Philistines went down. They didn't get the picture. They picked it up and put it back. They came back the next day and it was face down, but the head broke and the arms broke off. It was just the torso left in place. And they tried to you know, patch it all back together, but they finally got the clue that, man, this, the, the, we got to get the ark out of here. Now, what they should have did, right? What they should have did was said, man, our God has no power. Their God has power. We're going to reform. We're going we're gonna to repent and change. But what they did instead was said, get that thing out of here. Get that thing out of here. The presence of God there was just making their God fall down. Listen, this is the picture here, right? When you allow the spirit of God to live in you and to reign in you, the things that are a battle, the things that are a struggle, the things that are inside you, right? Rather than you pinpointing all the little, this, I struggle with that, I'm working on this, I'm working. You worry about letting God just have his way. And you'll find that the dagons, right? The gods that are raising themselves up, they'll just fall down before him. They'll be in their place. They'll have no power over him. And so, Sometimes we make it such a struggle of our own strength, but if we would just let God reign, we would find that nothing, no power is like his power. We would just let him move in. God, just just be free reign in me. Then God would have God would have victory through you. Uh, But in Psalm 37, it talks about this, that how if we would delight ourselves also in the Lord, that he would just give us the desires of our heart. And there's this kind of a liberty there. God said, look, you just delight in me. And I'm going to change the desires. I'll be the one working out in you to do the right things. It's not going to be something you will yourself to do, but it's just letting God freely reign within our lives. And so, again, the Holy Spirit is on board. Every believer, he lives in us. Um, But it's just our yielding, our saying, God, just reign in me. Put the enemy in its place. Put those things that rise up against you. Put them down. And then we can't go pick them back up again. Right. We can't go and say now. God is just whipping this thing. I'm having I can't go and just pick it back up and put it back up on the wall. God's going to have to do it again. And so that's where some people live in a place where they're really fighting God. God's like, I'm trying to clean that thing out and you keep putting it back up, you know, and God's like, no, I want it out. And so 
We want to be careful about that. Just letting God, God, if you want that down, if that thing is in your way, then just just do what you want to do with it. Break it, destroy it, kick it out. I love what you love and I hate what you hate. And just let them reign. And you'll find that you won't be having to specifically work on all these little things. As you just say, God, I'm going to focus on one thing, yielding to God. I guarantee you that's a better focus than focusing on all your weaknesses and all your sins. If you say, I'm going to focus on my weakness here and here and here and here. I'm going to fix that one by doing this and fix that one by you're going you're gonna to wear yourself out and fail anyway. But if you make it your focus and say, God, I'm going to just I got one focus. I'm going to be yielded to your spirit. I'm going to let you lead me. I'm going to let you tell me what to do. You'll find in that God's always going to lead you the right way. Right. He's always there. He's never leaving. One of the things that he promises to do is to guide us in all truth. He leads us. And so moving on now, look at verses um, 14 and 15. For as many as are led by the spirit, the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So in verse 14, God says, look, as many of you as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And so God just saying here, the spirit leads his children. He gives us guidance in our lives. Uh, we're not lost. We're not meandering. We're not out here trying to figure out. God said, look, I lead my kids. I lead you guys in the way to go. And if you look at the kind of the track record here, look at all the things the spirit does in verse nine. Again, he dwells in us, wants to make himself at home. In verse 11, he gives us spiritual life to our mortal bodies. In verse 13, he helps put to death the deeds of the body. And here in verse 14, the spirit leads us. He gives us guidance. And so one thing that most people don't have as nonbelievers is direction. Their lives are just kind of all over the place. What are you doing? Oh, man, right now I'm trying to work this thing out over here. Talk to them six months later. Man, you know, I found out this thing over here. I think I'm going to go that direction. And then a year later, oh, man, I'm, you know, I'm over here. I'm, I'm going to sell this stuff over here. And, and they just be all over the place with no guidance, no direction. That's what a life of a non-believer looks like. You find yourself a believer that's yielded to the spirit of God. Hey, what are you, what's God doing right now? Really feel like God's leading me in this direction. And so I'm just yielding here. Talk to you two years later. You'd be 10 steps forward in that direction. Yeah, and as I yielded here, God opened up this. And it was like, wow, that was him. And as I'm yielding here, God's doing this other thing. And, and you'll find that when God's leading you, you don't have to go backwards all the time. He'll be leading you and it'll be very clear. Uh, you may not have the whole picture, but God will give you a step at a time. And you stepped in the right direction here. And as you got there, things flourished and you grew and there were things God was doing in you there. And then God leads you further and you go this further. And then in this area, God's doing some new things and you just keep on that path. And you'll find as you look back through life, you'll say, wow, God led me. Right. Even that thing that didn't make sense was him leading me. And I'll just say this. Sometimes God will lead us to do things that don't make sense. And so that's why God says, lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. If you get an option that some God's leading you to something, you start crunching numbers and trying to make it work and it don't work out. Um, that's not how he leads. Right. God's not looking for you to crunch numbers. He's not. If he says go, he's not looking for you to figure out how to do it. He's just looking for you to get foot to foot and get moving. And he'll show you as you go. Right. How did God tell Abraham to get where he was going? He said, go to a place that I will show you. What? <laughs> he didn't even tell him where to go. Just go. And to a place, what place, the one I will show you as you get going. And he got going and God showed him where to go. We don't like that. Nobody likes that. Right? God want God to tell me where to go, how I'm going to get there, how much I'm going to make when I get there, what I'm going to eat, what my, what my benefits package is going to be. Is there a 401? You know, I want, we want all these details and, and we'd be sitting there in disobedience waiting for God. God, I'm waiting for you to confirm it um, by showing me these other things. And God's you're disobedient. That's why you stuck. You'd be there for 10 years stuck 
I ain't changing my mind. God told Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah got on a boat going to Tarshish. And he said, you forgot that God was God. God said, I'm going to throw a storm out there. I'm going to tear that boat up. You're going to come back. You're going you're gonna to eventually make your way back around here. And sure enough, in the boat, thrown over, should have died. God prepared a great fish, swallow him whole so he couldn't die. Three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. Jonah said, okay, I quit. Uncle. And he repented. And guess what God did? God had the fish throw him up on dry land. The fish swam to dry land one day's walk from where God told him to go in the first place. And then it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Guess what God said do? The same thing he said do the first time. I, I ain't changed my mind. Go to Nineveh and tell him the message I told you to tell him. And if he would have said no again, it would have happened all over again. I don't have a new plan for your life. Got one. You're going to do that. So maybe there's some Jonas here today. Maybe there's some here today that God has said go here, do that, and you're gone over there and did that. And, and maybe you hurt Maybe you're in the belly of the fish. Maybe you're going through it, but you've been preserved. You can repent like Jonah did and get back on track because God leads his kids. He gives us direction. So if you're here as a believer, you say, I'm no focus for my life. I'm no direction. I don't know what I'm called to do, what I'm supposed to do. I have no idea. God says, I lead my kids. I lead you. And so it's interesting. He doesn't drive us. He's not whipping you from behind. He's not driving. Satan drives his kids. Right. God says, I'm a shepherd. I lead you. I'm in front. And just follow my example, follow my voice. How does a shepherd lead a sheep? The sheep know his voice, and so they follow his voice. How does he lead them? He leads them beside still waters. He leads them to green grass and good pasture. They lead them to places of rest. I mean, he's a great shepherd. He said, if you just follow my lead, it'll be so good. Even when it's bad, it'll be good because I'm a good shepherd. So for those that resist his leading, you do it to your own hurt. God, we got the best shepherd in the world. And if we would let him lead us, we wouldn't be disappointed with where he took us. And so I encourage you guys, let him let him lead you. So here he says, as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So interesting here, God says, look, we've received the spirit of adoption you know, Jesus is the only begotten son of God. We've been adopted in to the family of God. The word Abba is Aramaic, uh, means Aramaic for Papa or Daddy. And it's an endearing term. We look to the Lord and say, you know, Abba, Father, Daddy, look, I've adopted you. You didn't receive the spirit of bondage, right? You're not a slave anymore. You're not in bondage. That's not the spirit that I give, not the spirit of fear. But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. He's taking us in a new direction here. God said, look, we have a relationship where I've, I've chosen you. In the Roman culture, when they did adoptions, it was interesting. A Roman, if they adopted someone, they adopted someone of their own choosing. Once they were adopted, it was just like your born children. So if you adopted a son and you didn't have one, he would be heir of everything that you had. Uh, he would be as though you had born him, you know, with your wife. It was all full rights would go to that child. And so as he's speaking to the Romans here, God said, look, when you guys are adopted into my family, you guys are like my kids. It's not like you some stepchild. You know, you're not a second tier. You know, when you were an adopted. Oh, oh, that's, you know, um, God says adoption is special. That means I chose you. I chose you. I picked you. We had a ministry at uh, Calvary Downing where it's called uh, House of Ruth and the women and the House of Ruth ministry. They go to abortion clinics and find women that are going to abort kids and they try to encourage them not to abort the kids. And for whatever reason, they're considered aborting the kids. They try to convince them to why don't you have the child and then let them be adopted into a Christian home through the house of Ruth. 
and they adopt these kids into Christian homes. And so it uh, becomes a ministry where, you know, kids who were otherwise they weren't wanted. They were going to be not just discarded, but murdered. Uh, they're, they're not only are they saved, but they're put in the home where they can grow up and be saved and really know the Lord. It's a sweet ministry. So God said, look, I've adopted you. I chose you, I picked you. I walked in, I saw everything, and I said, I want you, I chose you. We know that from John 15, 16, Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I pointed to you that you should go forth and bear much fruit. Guys, I picked you. I picked you. I know all your mess ups. I know all your flaws and everything about you, and I picked you. I have a plan for you. I want you to go forth, and I want you to bear much fruit. I want you to do great things for my glory. We're going to stop at verse 18. Look down, verse 16 says, um, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So another work of the spirit. Now the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So how's that work? God said, look, my spirit bears witness with your spirit. And if you read it, it's a capital S and a small S. Capital S is his spirit, the spirit of God, God's spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're his. And so one thing that people can really struggle with is, how do I know I'm his? I want to know I'm his. God said, well, the evidence of the spirit working your life. But God says, here, look, my spirit will bear witness with your spirit. You'll know you're mine. My spirit will bear witness with your spirit that we are the children of God, that we are his kid. And if we're his kids, if we're children, verse 17 says, then we're heirs. If I'm a child, then I'm his heir. I'm heir to everything that's his. And if I'm heir, then I'm a joint heir with Christ. And this is interesting. If indeed we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. It's impossible that we know him, walk with him, live for him, that he reigns in us and that we don't suffer. And this is a part of Christianity that some people like to leave out and they mislead people. There's people out there that give you a version of Christianity where it looked like, you know, lollipops and gooey gumdrops. You know, if you just give your life to Christ, everything's going to work out fine. You'll get the job that you want. You'll have good credit. You know, you'll, you have better health. You have prettier smile. Like, everything just, just, just come to Jesus and everything's going to go great. Problem with that is you read your Bible. You can't listen to a sermon like that and read your Bible. You'll see a discrepancy because Paul gave his life to Christ and he got beat, imprisoned, starved, you know, betrayed, uh, stoned to death, had to be raised back up. And I'm like, but, but he was actually doing really good for God. Like why God let him? Why did all that happen to such a faithful man? If, you know, you give your life to Christ, everything goes good. So I want to be a good pastor. I want to prepare you guys. You can really be doing awesome in your walk with the Lord. And Satan will hate it so bad that the war kicks up. Right. My Lakers ain't doing so hot right now. So I, I mean, if, if you if, if well, back in the day, a few years back, you know, if you was going to look if if a team had to come up with a game plan to beat the Lakers, they had to figure out a way to stop who. They had to figure out that was in their meetings, in their coaches room. They had to. How do we stop that guy? Right. Who can we put on him? How can we double team him? How can we just keep him down on his points? You know, they had to come up with that. So when you get walking real strong for the Lord and you out there evangelizing, witnessing and people getting saved, Satan say, man, we got to slow him down. She's doing three much. I got to do something. And then the warfare kicks up. And so there may there be, may be suffering. There may be hardship. There may be difficulty. It's OK. It's part of the promise. But God said, look at what he said. He said that if we suffer with him, we're also going to be glorified with him. Right. Suffering with Christ is just a it's just a part of the package. First Timothy three twelve says, yes. And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There will be some degree of persecution. 
And I want to close with verse 18, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, You end up suffering or going through difficulty for God. It just gives you perspective, right? He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul says, look, whatever we're going through right now, and I got to explain because Paul, Paul was going through suffering. It wasn't like Paul was a guy that, you know, just had little minuscule suffering and he was making this statement because then it might not read as powerfully as it does. Right. If I looked at Paul and thought, man, your life is going pretty hunky dory. So easy for you to say, I'm telling you, Paul was beat, shipwrecked, you know, put in jail, beat with rods. You know, multiple times he received the 39 lashes on his back with the cat of nine tails with, you know, stuff that would kill most men. He was stoned to death in Lystra. I mean, he went through it. But Paul says, look, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, it's not even worthy to compare them with the glory, what's going to be revealed. Paul said, I, I just I understand some things about where I'm going. And even though it's really, really, really bad in the suffering category, it don't even compare to the glory that's going to be revealed. I won't even compare it. I won't even act like it's close. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And so because Paul had such a forward future heavenly perspective, it enabled him to live for God more completely. He wasn't looking at what was happening right now and being impacted. Every time I try to walk with God, something bad happens. So I'm going to sit down. That's what some people do. Some Christians are like little bratty kids. I was doing good. I was praying. I'm going to buy my, I lost my job. Uh-uh. And they stop. You won't get nowhere like that. If Satan says, Satan says, that's all I got to do to stop you. You done already, right? You're not even in the fight. But when you get a guy like Paul, which says, look, I know I'm suffering really bad. But man, this doesn't compare to glory. It's going to be, I can't wait to get to heaven. It's going to be so good. The enemy comes to Paul says, I'm going to kill you. Paul says, look, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Actually, a benefit if I die. So, so I'm going to keep living for Christ. But if you kill me, I go to heaven. So I'm not going to punk out so you don't kill me. If I die, that's a gain to me. How do you stop him? How do you stop a guy that feels that way, that believes that way? You can't. He's unstoppable, right? He only listens to the leader, his master. That's it. He's led by a shepherd. And the little things on this earth are happening, but it doesn't stop him because I'm so connected to the Lord, to his call upon my life, to the leading of his spirit that this little stuff down here is happening. But I, man, I'm going to heaven when this is done. I am so excited. And so my thing to us, you guys, if we can have a heavenly perspective, I got three things I want to just leave and we're going to pray. One, the spirit dwells in us and he wants to settle down and be at home. And so if there are things you need to put out, there are things that God has been saying, get rid of. Just yield today. Don't resist him anymore. Let him put out everything needs to be put out that he might reign in you. Second, we talked about the bully and that's your flesh. Always wanting to bully you around and get back in charge. But if you would just let the Lord dominate the bully by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. Again, what's the work that you do? Yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit, just yielding to him. And thirdly, this, if you would just tune in. Maybe you've resisted. Maybe you've rebelled. Maybe you've quenched so long that his voice is all the way turned down. Today, if you would just commit yourself to submitting and resisting, that his voice might be turned up, that it may be loud, that you may hear him clearly, that he may have his way in and through your life. Amen. And so, Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your love for us. And God, we thank you for um, just the examples that we are shown here Thank you for the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, God. Thank you that you live in the believer. Thank you, God, that we haven't been left orphans, but you live in us, Lord. Everything we need is wrapped up in you, Jesus. 
God, today, would you just anew and afresh, Lord, would you fill us with your spirit, God, as we commit ourselves, Lord, to just yield in a greater way. Do you ever start thinking about God's immense love for you and get lost in the amazement? He loved us enough to send his son to die in our place. But Paul, in his letter to the Romans, takes it even a step further when he says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't look at humanity and think we were doing such a great job on our own. He looked at us and saw that we were broken sinners, lost in rebellion, and he loved us anyway. If you haven't yet made the decision to follow him, know that he is looking at you and loving you. He loves you just the way you are today. If you like to learn what it means to follow him, you can call or text us at 310-245-4811. We love to walk you through the story of what God has done to offer you salvation. Once again, that phone number is 310-245-4811. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Buffington on A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill is working his way through the book of Romans in this series a book filled with wisdom and instructions for life. If you missed a message and want to go back, you can find all our messages on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. That's calvaryinglewood.org. Look under the media tab for links to YouTube and our mobile app. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to connecting with you again. Meet us right here next time for another great message on A Transforming Word.